Welcome to Screen Cleaning. My name is Jeff Simpson. And I'm Cole Wessinger. And we are here each and every week to give you the very best in entertainment. We like to shine a big old spotlight on all that is good in entertainment. There are plenty of shows that talk about the bad, that talk about the gossip. We're not interested in that stuff. We just want to highlight what's going to make you happy, what's going to make you excited, entertained. And uh, right now we are doing that from the comfort of our own respective locations, right, Cole? We are staying socially distant, as it were. But one of the first things we want to do is give you the very best in entertainment news over the past week. And Cole, you and I have said it recently. There's been pretty much nothing but good news coming out of Hollywood, which is great. It's been nice that everyone's kind of gone to come together at this time where we kind of need some good news. And so our jobs for this beginning of the show uh, have been made a little easier. Cole, I understand you've got some news that you want to share about one uh, caped crusader. No, not caped crusader. Man of Steel. There you go. Look, it's a bird. It's a plane. Uh, It's this week. In DC News, Henry Cavill will be returning as Superman. That was this week in DC News. That's exciting because it kind of seems like his foot was, he had one foot out the door and does he have them both back in the door now? I mean, production was actively happening. I remember I used those same sound effects when we thought that Michael B. Jordan might be coming on board as a new Superman because Henry Cavill was pretty much all the way out the door when they made Shazam. Superman made a cameo at the end of it, and it clearly, I mean, who knows if it was Henry Cavill's body, but we didn't see his face. And to me, that was clearly because Henry Cavill wasn't paid to be there, and and he was on the way out of this DC expanded universe, and they're going to start going in a different direction. But now that HBO Max is here, and that'll be another thing that we talk about later on today— it looks like the DC Extended Universe, that that connection of things, is going to be coming back. Hmm. Okay. Well, that's exciting. Will he have a mustache this next time? Oh, everyone on the internet is hoping. The When they reshoot, <laughs> when they come out with the Snyder Cut of Justice League, there are fingers crossed that it's just Superman with a mustache the whole time. Yeah. Well, speaking about having to rework your movie because of you know, facial hair that you're contractually required to have for other movies. There's another Uh, piece of news about exactly that. Well, there's another piece of news about a movie that was reworked and it turns out that it was a good thing because it ended up being kind of a modest hit. Came out probably just in time before the coronavirus hit. So it probably didn't make as much money as it could have. But Sonic the Hedgehog will be getting a sequel. It's in the works right now. Now, the big question for me when I read that is, will Jim Carrey reprise his role as Dr. Robotnik? Oh, he would have to. Because Jim Carrey is notably not a fan of doing sequels. He did one for Ace Ventura Pet Detective. But uh, other than that, he doesn't really do sequels. Oh, I guess he did Dumb and Dumber 2. And I I would agree... Yeah, that was a bad idea. (laughs) (laughs) But then also Dumb and Dumber 2 or which Too Dumb, Too Dumber, whichever. There's been three Dumb and Dumbers, right? Yes. He was only in one. He wasn't in the prequel. Right. Okay. But uh, maybe it just has to be a good movie. I mean, he notably didn't do The Mask 2, Son of the Mask, but that's also one of the worst movies that's ever been made. And so 
sure he doesn't do sequels, but maybe he just only does good sequels and we can hope. We can hope that he'll be there for Sonic 2 when Sonic meets Tails because the other video game, his his video game sidekick was there in the post credit scene. That's true. That's true. So, yeah, Cole, you and I have been frustrated just because, like so many other people, we haven't been able to go to the movies. There aren't really any big tentpole movie releases coming out. We're still crossing our fingers that Christopher Nolan's Tenet will be out July 17th. And even before that, Russell Crowe's is unhinged on July the 1st. Yes. But uh, so barring any unforeseen releases that they could spring upon us, we do have some options online in the streaming world. And one caught my attention because mostly because I have Amazon Prime and because that's a wacky enough premise that I will take a look. It's called Gary Busey Pet Judge. And we've talked about this this show on our show before, but it's actually now out on Amazon Prime. You can watch all six episodes. I thought six episodes was kind of an odd number of episodes to have for a show of this, I don't want to say caliber, but of this uh, vein, right? <laughs> So it's basically a spoof of Judge Judy and the People's Court. You've got music that is almost identical to it as people are coming in. And I was skeptical because I thought, all right, where are they going to find these people? Where are they going to find these problems to, for him to, uh, to solve? And you learn very quickly that... Uh, you know, this looks a little too scripted and these real people with these real problems, um, they're they're very good at making for some really funny content. And so as as the episode rolls out, you can tell that it's totally scripted. It's a comedy. It's meant to be a spoof. So if you were to compare it with another comedy of this type you would you would say it's kind of like a mockumentary or a christopher guest type of a show because it's really not meant to be taken seriously at all and in fact in the credits you can see the names of the plaintiff and the defendant and you can google their names and sure enough they're actors that have been in (laughs) other projects so it is fake but it is very funny i think it's hilarious i'm halfway through it and i'll probably finish it off. I've been watching something also available on streaming that has a mockumentary tie-in. It is Steve Carell's new Space Force, of course, mocking now a a real government agency uh, designed to take America to space again. But uh, it is very much in the style, not in the mockumentary filming, but it feels office-y. And the character that Steve Carell plays has many facial expressions that just remind you of exactly what he was doing as Michael Scott. Even you mentioned the Christopher Guest movies. Fred Willard, the the now late, unfortunately, oh, Fred Willard Fred makes Willard. an appearance in this show as Steve Carell's uh, old senile dad. And it brought a smile to my face when I saw him show up there in the first episode. The first episode, I thought, and, and I've seen some bad reviews, and so I can only speak to the first episode. But the first episode was funny. There's There's only three or four maybe F words and no other content to make this objectionable. Uh, and as a fan of The Office, I very much enjoyed seeing Steve Carell kind of harness that Michael Scott in a new era and uh, for, a, for a new topic. 
You know, it's interesting that you mentioned The Office because it looks like it was created by both Steve Carell and Greg Daniels, who was his cohort on The Office. Yep. So, yeah, I'm sure there are, some, there are going to be some other Office ties. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw some people who appeared on The Office appear on Space Force. Well, it's certainly uh, the cast would be the reason to watch this. And I can only imagine if it is getting bad reviews that it's because it maybe set too high of expectations because there are so many people, even just like the little government council of the heads of each of the military agencies. It has Patrick Warburton, Jane Lynch, uh, Steve Carell is one of I mean, it. you go around the room and it's just it's a cavalcade. It's amazing. Yeah, Lisa Kudrow, John Malkovich. Speaking of Sonic the Hedgehog, uh, Ben Schwartz is in it as he's, well. He's his uh, tweeting intern in the first episode that he uh, fires and then detains so he won't tweet about anything. <laughs> that does sound funny. I do need to check that out. That sounds like a really funny premise. All right, so Gary Busey, Pet Judge, Space Force. I've got another option. Also from Amazon Prime, this is a movie that uh, I saw a trailer for this movie a long time ago, and it intrigued me because it was a sci-fi thriller that is PG-13. So, of course, my interest was piqued, and it's really only PG-13 because there are a couple of characters who smoke some cigarettes, and then I think there's basically one strong swear word in the entire movie. Other than that, it's just kind of a slow burn, and it's called... The Vast of Night. So the movie starts out with this very interesting framing device. You're basically seeing this TV set with this very Twilight Zone-esque intro being given. You know, imagine if you will type of thing. And I think it was called Paradox Theater. And so (laughs) the movie within the TV show is starting. And then, of course, it zooms in on the TV screen and then it absorbs the entirety of the screen and we're right in the world of this sci-fi thriller that is about this radio DJ and this operator girl who start hearing these really bizarre sounds that they can't explain. So they, they uh, throw it out to the listeners and they play these weird sounds on the air and they start getting some responses from people who might have some answers about where these unusual mysterious sounds are coming from now this is a movie cole it i was very impressed with it because this is the first movie of director andrew patterson and you sure enough if you go look at his imdb page no other credits to his name so this is an amazing first effort and this movie is so sure of itself and so confident you would never would have guessed that this was this man's first movie And uh, the whole time I kept thinking, man, Aaron Sorkin would be so proud of this filmmaker because they've really mastered the walk and talk, which we've all come to know and love from the West Wing. Right. So it's moving very fast pace, even though I said it's kind of a slow burn. The suspense part of it is kind of a slow burn. And uh, you really get you really uh, get invested in these characters. And gosh, the big question looming over the whole movie is. Is there something out there? Will we get to see what's out there if there is? And I just loved the tie-in to The Twilight Zone because, as you know, I'm a big fan of that series. So check it out. 
PG-13. It's called The Vast of Night. You can stream it for free as long as you've got Amazon Prime. It's, it's a movie available on Prime, and streaming is how we're doing most of our movie watching nowadays, but it's also a movie that you might be able to catch in a slightly different way. And that's, you know, Cole, I'm so glad you brought that up because I had two options of seeing this movie. I was given a link where I could just watch it at home or uh, not too far from here, they were going to be showing this at a drive-in movie theater. The entire time you watch this movie, you're thinking, this is a movie that would play so well on a drive-in movie theater, not only because it kind of takes place in the 50s and 60s, but it just has that wonderful sci-fi, old-timey feel to it. And uh, it's interesting that it aired on, on in, a, in a drive-in movie theater as one of the options to see it, because when we return here on Screen Cleaning, we're going to be talking about the drive-in movie theater experience and how it's sort of experiencing sort of a resurgence. That's all up next here on Screen Cleaning. The president is creating a new branch in the United States military. Space Force, which Mark will run. I don't... Mm. <laughs> it has always been my dream to start something from the ground up. But space is hard. May I suggest that that become the new Space Force motto? We're happy to have you with us this evening and want you to enjoy every minute of your stay here. And while you relax and stretch, visit our concession where you'll find something to please you. There are ice cold drinks. Does that sound sound familiar? Man, we probably haven't heard that sound since maybe the 50s or 60s, Cole. What is that? Well, it's been about a year and a half or so since I've heard that because my local drive-in back home in central Pennsylvania still plays those same cheesy 50s intermission things telling you to go to the concession and check out our snacks in between the two movies that they play. Oh, I love that, Cole. I, you know, I was thinking of the let's all go to the lobby song, but I guess that's something that they could play in movie theaters. But we're not talking about movie theaters. We're talking about drive-in movie theaters that are experiencing a bit of a resurgence now that people are stuck at home. And which is good news for some movie production companies, and we can talk a little bit more about this, who are deciding to still release movies theatrically because they're low budget. Um, But it's also good news for movie theater owners who are having to adapt or even some restaurants that are having to adapt and uh, trying to earn their money somehow in some way. But uh, let's talk about how drive-throughs even came to be, right? I did not think that the first drive-through would have been found in New Mexico in 1915, over a hundred years ago, Cole. They kind of peaked in the 40s and 50s, but 1950, that's crazy. They started getting, uh, you know, they started to evolve in the 20s and 30s, but uh, during those, the 40s, 50s, and 60s, when there really was no other option to see some of these movies, as far as, you know, there wasn't the option to view them at home, man, drive-in movie theaters were doing gangbusters. And uh, unfortunately, as technology evolved and as we did get to see some advances in home video viewing and VCRs and DVD players, 
drive-in movie theaters started to become a thing of the past and right now there just aren't very many left that we can go out and enjoy but as we said because of the coronavirus they're starting to creep up a little bit more and people are desperate to get their entertainment one way or another and they're willing to at least go to a drive-in movie theater cole you probably have more experience at the drive-in movie theater than the two of us put together that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is where I got most of my movies growing up. And you, you talk about the drive-ins slowly going away. The advancement of home video and home theaters explains why people aren't going to the movies in general as much as they used to, perhaps, even though they are actually going more. And box office returns are bigger than ever, at least before coronavirus happened. But I don't really understand, because I grew up in a place where this was still where I went to get my movies, why the drive-in went away, unless it just kind of became a form of nostalgia and people thought that it was an old-fashioned thing because of the 50s and 60s strong you know, vibe that people got from it. I mean, all of those uh, the let's-go-to-the-lobby essential songs that they would play maybe don't help but i remember there was a much less up-tempo song that they played at the beginning before we saw any trailers or or before the first movie started talking about how drive-ins were slowly going away and it was to this very dramatic music that like that we were all watching it felt like we were watching a, a bit on endangered species but instead of actual poor little animals we were watching just a bunch of drive-ins and then it said please go to the concessions this is the only way we can stay alive uh and then we got to see the movie yeah and what was great about drive-in movie theaters is that a lot of them would show double features so the price of one ticket you could see two movies this is how i got to see a double feature of uh, Minority Report and Undercover Brother. For some reason, those two movies were paired together. Uh, this is how I got to see a double feature of Batman Begins and the Fantastic Four, The Rise of the Silver Surfer. So, yeah, I mean, this is this would have been my dream as a little boy. And in fact, the only other double feature I remember seeing not at a drive-in movie theater was included one of the Teenage Mutant... It was a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Secret of the Ooze, and I can't for the life of me remember what the other movie was. But yeah, it just... It blew my young mind to think that, wait, I only have to pay for one movie, but I get to see two movies? How many other times do we just sit down and watch two movies in a row? It was unprecedented for me and it was a dream come true not only is it two movies but you get to stay up until midnight because the first one can't start until it gets dark and and right, especially right. where i'm from it's very cold in the winter so drive-ins are only open in the summertime and the days are longer in the summer so if the sun ain't going down until about eight the first movie can't get going till eight thirty. you're staying up until one if you're watching a couple blockbusters and there's nothing cooler for a little kid than to stay up late watching movies you're right oh yeah you know one of my favorite scenes from one of my favorite movies Wee's big adventure takes place at a drive-in movie theater and so he's met all of these colorful characters throughout the course of the movie and then uh his his life story has become a movie within the movie and so he's going down the line at the drive-in movie theater and he's handing out refreshments 
to all of the people that he's met throughout the course of the movie. And uh, it is such a funny scene. And he even has a cameo within his movie, within the movie. But anyway, uh, the other thing I want to mention about drive-in movie theaters, we talked about how we're seeing a little bit of a resurgence and how some movie theaters are sending their patrons outdoors. There's a local chain here that's doing that. There are other, there are restaurants that are giving people the option to watch a drive-in movie. And, uh, but the thing that I want to mention is there are actually some movie companies, one in particular, IFC Films, is still cranking out movies and releasing them theatrically. And most of the box office receipts for these movies are coming from drive-in movie theaters. And if you take their per-screen average, these movies are doing quite well, especially when you take into account that uh, they're really super low-budget movies. Cole, this seems like it would be a custom fit for you because you're a huge fan of horror movies and some of these horror movies are are doing quite well in these drive-in movie theaters. Yeah, I certainly love to see it. And that whole uh, low-budget horror kind of genre feels at home at the drive-in, maybe more so for me because I grew up watching uh, Joe Bob talking about the last drive-in and his drive-in kind of movies, and it was always these B- cult classic sort of just bad movies that belong as the second feature on a drive-in <laughs> well i don't know cole is if are you likely to go to a drive-in movie theater i know you're a fan but are you willing to pay 10 or 15 dollars per car in order to go see movies that have been out for decades uh, uh if it's not new movies I'm not sure because we're still supposed to be social distancing. The whole point of not being inside of a theater is because if you're in a car, you're separated from other people. And I remember one of the coolest parts of going to the drive-in was going and playing catch, football, frisbee, whatever it was, in the giant field in front of the screen before the movie starts. You got to show up early enough so you can get a good spot. You can park, you know, where you're going to be able to see the whole screen and you got a good seat uh, and then you get your lawn chairs out and you get your blankets or you know you you blow up the inflatable bed in the back of your truck or whatever it's going to be that you're going to watch the the movie on and then you go and you have fun you run around with everyone else in the in the front and that probably isn't there if we're doing what we're supposed to be doing yeah yeah so it was an event for you cole sounds like you just made it a whole day thing oh and we were there every other week because what would inevitably happen is one movie would get held over so we didn't want to pay the five bucks to see you know the same movie again the next week but by the next week there were two brand new movies and we'd be back my family was at the drive-in theater a lot when i go back and look at when movies were released in my childhood i realized i've seen a lot more movies that were released in the summer than in the winter because um my cheap family we we saw two movies for the price of one we pretty much only went to the drive-in not to the traditional theater well cole i i hope that as as people are given the option to go to drive-in movie theaters, I hope that we'll see a little bit more of a resurgence. I would have loved to have seen The Vast of Night at a drive-in movie theater because, yeah, I'm I'm kind of there with you. I don't know that I would have spent 10 or $15 to see a movie that I probably already own anyway, but a brand new movie for sure. And, yeah, the only other thing that's tough with me is I've got young kids and 
staying up until nine o'clock at night for that first movie to start isn't really an option. But I, I am a fan of nostalgia. I love the experience of being at a drive-in movie theater, tuning into a certain radio station. It used to be that they had those uh, those speakers there in place, so you wouldn't even have to do that. And yeah, bring in the ice chest and bring in some nice cold snacks to enjoy along with the movie and seeing a double feature to boot. One can only hope that uh, this time with this resurgence that they will be here to stay. I think it probably helps that I was an only child. And so even though I was too young to stay up, if I just fell asleep in the back of the car, that was fine. And my parents just let me sleep. They kept watching the movie. They drove home. Uh, You have a wide range of ages to deal with. Like your older daughters are definitely ready to go to a drive-in, but you have a newborn and that doesn't really work. (laughs) Yeah. Well, anyway, so if we're not quite ready for that drive-in experience, Cole, it seems like that uh, there's another option that we've got available that's brand new, and people are super excited about it. It's got loads of content. You probably know where I'm going with this. At least you can probably uh, infer that it is a streaming service that we're going to be talking about. But Cole, what are we going to be talking about when we return? There's always something new to stream, and the newest entry is HBO Max. That's coming up next on Screen Cleaning. We're now just one minute away from the beginning of our next feature. For your convenience, our refreshment stand will remain open after the feature begins, so you still have time to add to the fun of watching the movie. All hail King Grover! Nice fit! <laughs> no! Do not lose your head over this, Neddy baby! Now fetch me a cushion for my royal bottom. This chair is not comfy at all. Yes, your fuzzy grace. And bring a sweater! I think winter is coming! That is from an episode of Sesame Street in 2015, right after... HBO and the Warner, Time, Turner, AT&T conglomerate took over Sesame Street and started airing their episodes on HBO. And now the home of Sesame Street is their new streaming service, HBO Max, which launched this week. Oh, Cole, this is what you've been waiting for for so long. You get to watch every single episode of Friends that you've ever wanted to watch. Yeah, that's the max part. HBO is advertising (laughs) this as all the HBO you want and more. And uh, Friends is the and more of that little advertising. So one thing that we will have to wait on with the Friends series is that uh, they were filming kind of a reunion special of sorts, and that got put on hold because of the coronavirus, correct? Yes, but it will be coming eventually, as will we be getting, as I've said uh, last week, the the Snyder Cut of Justice League, the movie, because HBO is also the home of DC Comics. So in addition to the Sesame Workshop, DC, uh, this conglomerate I mentioned also has on their service Turner Classic Movies, Cartoon Network, which includes Adult Swim, uh, all the Looney Tunes back catalog, which, of course, like the WB logo shows up at the beginning. So Warner is a part of that. 
and the Harry new Potter Looney Tune movies. cartoons, from what I understand. Yeah, well, I don't really care about new Looney Tunes, but they've got all the old oh. ones, and I definitely watched a couple of them on my free trial, by the way, Jeffrey. I'm not sure if I mentioned this on the show or off, but you, you said that there wasn't going to be a free trial. And to be fair, they did not advertise there was going to be. But I remember specifically saying, of course there's going to be a free trial. There's always a free trial, and there there is a free trial. I'm currently on the seven-day free trial of HBO Max. Okay. it's Man, how could you possibly stream everything you need to in those seven days? Are they going to hook you? Are they going to get you with everything that they're offering? Boy, they're getting there. I think the biggest problem so far that I've seen, despite listing all of these different companies that make up the big HBO catalog, in addition to just the HBO originals, which are worth it on their own and that people were paying for on its own, At the end of the day, for me so far, it just seems a little bit too limiting. It's very, very comparable, I think, to Disney+. And the only reason I still have Disney+, is because it also comes with Hulu and ESPN for the same price as what this just one HBO Max thing would be. There are some great originals, and Disney has a great back catalog of just their stuff, but it doesn't give me enough to really keep me around. And so I look, and and HBO has a ton, but it's just HBO stuff. It doesn't really branch out anywhere that I need it to, and and eventually I don't think it's going to be worth it for me to keep around. You know, it's interesting because you mentioned a lot of those old classics like The Wizard of Oz and Casablanca. So the fact that they are now on HBO Max, does that mean that people that still subscribe to cable or have a some sort of a cable streaming service like YouTube TV or Hulu TV, are those people going to be seeing those older films anytime soon? Or are they going to have to switch over to HBO Max to get that kind of content? This isn't... HBO was never the exclusive home of really any movies. And so with the exception of the movies that they own that they aren't really sending out to people, that would be like Harry Potter and the DC, you know, the the specific Warner movies, the movies that just flow through HBO as part of what you would catch if you had HBO as part of your cable subscription, you'll be able to see them on HBO Max, but it's not like they're exclusively going to be on HBO Max. Well, that's good to know. Uh, but, you know, just like with other streaming services, there this isn't just a dump ground of a bunch of content that's already been created because there are actually quite a few projects that are either in production, originals that have already been dropped, including a, uh, a not-so-late-night television show starring Elmo and, as I said, new episodes of Looney Tunes. But as I understand it, J.J. Abrams is going to be producing a series, uh, well, no, actually, he's not a part of this, but there's going to be a series called Overlook, which is a thriller based on Stephen King's The Shining, and it's set in the Overlook Hotel. So it sounds like maybe it's a prequel to the events that happen in The Shining. So there there are lots of good things coming out of HBO Max. Um, And that, uh, by the way, that Friends special that we had talked about, that's actually going to be an unscripted reunion special. So I don't know if that means they're they're going to return as their characters, just riffing with each other. And, in in, you know, uh, the co- what is that coffee place called? 
the perk, central perk. And <laughs> uh, right. I don't know if it's going to be that or if it's going to be the actors just reminiscing. But that'll be interesting to see once they get the green light to get together once again. Well, we know that Lisa Kudrow at least still uh, has some fresh chops when it comes to acting and, and riffing and being funny because she's appearing on Space Force. Jennifer Aniston's been working quite a bit. But, um, you know, Ross and Joey, I don't see them as much in stuff. And so you wonder how an uns- I saw unscripted, too, and it kind of made me cringe a bit. There is an unscripted thing that is on HBO Max that I spent a lot of time last night watching. Whose line is it anyway in its entirety? The original uh, that's on HBO right now. I also watched a little bit, and we mentioned it last week, of Doctor Who. A few of the BBC America shows that you would see are part of this service. And branching outside of just America, this is also where you'll see Crunchyroll have a home. That's uh, a a kind of landing port for a lot of anime and Studio Ghibli. The the very pleasant uh, Miyazaki films from Japan are exclusively now on HBO Max. Now, when you say the original episodes of Whose Line Is It Anyway, are you talking with the British host with very many... Drew, uh, Drew Carey. So when it came to oh, America, okay. the original American version, as opposed to the CW American version with very old Colin Mockery and Ryan Stiles. No, this is the, the I guess, middle Whose Line Is It Anyway. Yeah. I would imagine, Cole, that uh, front and center of all of this they are going to put up Game of Thrones because that show has has just done amazing things for HBO and has has garnered so many viewers, even for a service for which you have to pay. It's not like, you know, 98 million people watching the last episode of Seinfeld. These are people that are paying quite a lot of money to tune in to watch Game of Thrones on a premium service like HBO. And now if they're paying that either $12, if you got in with the deal or $15 a month, they're, they're going to have all of that acts or they're going to have all of that content right there at their fingertips. I would imagine that is going to be their biggest draw for people to, to subscribe to HBO max. Yeah. I think that's, it's worth kind of taking a step back now and appreciating what HBO max is and how we got here. So HBO, the home box office originally was just an, an add on premium service to cable where you could see movies. And then they started making the first premium television that we ever saw. The reason we have breaking bad or mad men or The Mandalorian, or any of these really good, serious, scripted, serialized television, short-form television that we have, is because HBO started doing it with The Sopranos and with The Wire, and they got people in, and at the time... It was worth it for people to pay for HBO just to get this one show that was that good. And then they continued with shows like Game of Thrones, like you mentioned. People were watching it on HBO, and you could stream all of HBO's content on HBO Go, which, and and this is where it's worth kind of explaining where HBO has kind of gone. HBO is the channel on your cable. HBO Go is for people that have that channel, to stream things that are on that channel. HBO Now was a service that people that had already cut the cord 
that could pay specifically just for HBO and stream all the HBO stuff. And now HBO Max is basically HBO Now, where if you don't have cable, you subscribe specifically to it, and you get all the HBO stuff and more, and that's the Friends and the the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and everything else. And so that's kind of... I don't know... how I can't HBO keep has all branched track out. of all that coal. And you're not the only one. It's fine <laughs> because as they go, I think they're going to start to streamline these things. The concept is if you were already paying for HBO now, as long as you didn't do it through like Amazon or Roku, your app has already automatically switched and become HBO Max because the price was exactly the same. HBO now was $15. HBO Max is $15. They don't have two separate things really where you can pay the same amount to just get HBO stuff or pay the same amount and get HBO and more. Um, the Max is their new thing that they're rolling out. It's just going to take some time to be adopted everywhere. It, it's also worth noting that if you have uh, you know, HBO through your cable, you probably can log into HBO Max. Also, there's AT&T. You know, everyone's owned by everyone nowadays. If you have a cell phone <laughs> plan through AT&T, there are certain plans that give you HBO Max for free as well. It's worth checking your bill, seeing if that applies to you, and then checking out some of this content. You know, Cole, it's interesting because just as we never imagined we would be in a world where we're stuck at home. We can't go to the movies. And uh, we've got this coronavirus that just has a lot of people fearful. Um, I don't know that I don't know who would have imagined that we'd live in a world where everything is streamed and that we would be cutting the cable and that you would have to subscribe to 20 different channels to get all the content that you want. I think at first, as people were cutting the cable bills and realizing Hooray! I'm I'm saving $60 a month. And then as all of these different streaming services started to pop up, people started to think, oh, no, because <laughs> they're seeing those bills start to creep up a little more. And we did a show about this a while back that you can actually look up in our archive. We did a show about Hulu versus YouTube TV versus uh, Netflix, I want to say was the other one. But basically, at some point, people are just going to have to choose. And which one is going to be at the right price point? Which one is going to be the most enticing? And so it'll be interesting to see if HBO Max is the one that people find the most enticing. Because right now, Amazon Prime has a leg up because people already want to have the, they want to pay for the two free day shipping. So they're already getting that content for free, kind of. Um, Netflix is actually still going pretty strong considering they, uh, are having a lot of shows jump ship to go to these other streaming services. It's going to be really interesting to see who comes out on top and to see which one our family is going to use the most. Yeah. And, and so as we try to kind of guide everyone else through this, it, I think the most important thing we can do is just explain where stuff is so you really understand and where you can kind of cut some corners. You know, this is the a la carte dream. Whenever I was a kid, we were very early adopters in my home of Dish Network, and so we had thousands and thousands of channels. And I, I watched, you know, more TV than a child should have, but it still was kind of based in maybe 10 to 20 channels. And I remember playing a game with my friends where if you could only pick 10 channels to watch, what would they be? 
And that's kind of the world that we live in now. You get to choose, hey, if you just want ESPN stuff, you can pay specifically just for ESPN. If you only want the DC universe and and Warner media things, then you can just pay for that. If you just want Marvel and Disney, you can just pay for that. And so you kind of have your choices and you can kind of see where things are and and the other the other part of it is trying to combine how you get it you know if you have AT&T hey good you're in on HBO Max if you get your internet from Comcast then you're ahead of the game getting the Peacock from NBC and Universal while the rest of us have to wait until July I personally have the Disney and ESPN and Hulu bundle where I can get a bunch of old you know, Fox and ABC television on Hulu and the new Disney stuff and my ESPN documentaries that I love. And that's really, that's the side of the bundle that I fall on and is my personal favorite. I imagine HBO Max and Netflix and these other things are going to start falling by the wayside for me. You know, Cole, um, I'm glad you brought up the bundling because I'm a very value-focused person, right? So you mentioned a la carte, but then you also mentioned bundling. And as we all know, if you go to Burger King or any sort of a fast food place, not sure why I singled that one out, but uh, let's say you want to get a meal. You can order the number three and get your burgers, fries, and your drink, right? But if you were to order those things separately, if you were to get the drink, the burger, and the fries separately, you're actually paying more. So something like what you're already set up with with the Disney Plus, Hulu, ESPN bundle, where you're getting more bang for your buck, that's something that personally would be very attractive because otherwise you find yourself in a pickle. Gosh, oh, speaking of burgers, you find yourself in a pickle. Yeah, I got you. Um, You find yourself trying to choose between, oh gosh, if I want to add if I want to add the burger of HBO Max and if I want to add the fries of Hulu and if I want to add the milkshake of Netflix, it's going to cost me. But if I'm willing to try to look for ways to bundle and consolidate, then I'll probably save a little bit more money and uh, I might not get everything I want. But uh, yeah, that's probably the route I'll go to, Cole. Jeff, I know that you're a California boy. But you just explained why In-N-Out is empirically a an, an inferior fast food chain. Because when they say the price of the meal, it is actually just the price of the burger, the price of the fries, and the price of the drink added together. Yes! There is, yes! That is the worst thing about In-N-Out. And there's a few bad things about In-N-Out. Their fries and their shakes and a lot of things. But that is the worst part. Wait, the worst part? I would think that's the best part because... You don't have to worry about ordering things separately and getting charged an arm and a, and, and a leg. You could order either way, and it's the same cost. That's what I love about it. Cole, I just tuned out everything you just said because, um, well, I just didn't hear it. Because I, when I hear truth, I, I listen. When I hear falsities, I, uh, I go someplace else. You just said the bundles were better, and then you say that when it's in and out, oh, a la carte is way better. That's the exception, though, because the pricing is the same either way, you know. But if you were to buy Disney Plus, Hulu, and ESPN separately, if that was even an option, they would all cost a lot more. So I appreciate a business, and I appreciate businesses 
that are very upfront and just saying, here's, we're not trying to trick you into buying something that's more expensive. This is the price, no matter what format you buy it in. And I would rather have the deal and get them all three for cheaper than it would be to buy the three individually. So that's why I go to Burger King and buy a meal because it's cheaper than buying the burger fries and drink. Cole, I'm going to go to In-N-Out Burger today just to spite you. I'll go to Burger King. It's a deal. And I will live tweet it and video chat with you. And uh, yeah, maybe we can plan our next show. (laughs) But only time will tell if HBO Max will be a huge hit and if it'll be enough to get you to keep watching after those three months or after that uh, week-long trial. Only time will tell, Cole. Next week, the time will be here, and I... I can almost guarantee I will have canceled it by our show next week. (laughs) All right. Well, when we return, as always, we're going to do a little panning for good. And that's where we shine an extra spotlight on something that is especially noteworthy that we want to make sure you know about. That's up next here on Screen Cleaning. There are two kinds of people in this world when this song starts playing. There are those that immediately say, we need more cowbell. And I'm picturing that Jeff is one of those people. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but there's another kind. And there's the kind that think of that TV miniseries from 1994, The Stand, based on the novel The Stand by Stephen King who says that this song was the inspiration for that whole novel. It appears as a quote at the beginning of it, and it is in the beginning of the miniseries as we're introduced to a world with a super flu. Imagine that. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. You know, for a minute I thought you were going to say that there are another group of people that think of the movie The Frighteners, directed by Peter Jackson and starring Michael J. Fox, which is a movie I love, by the way. That song is featured at the end of the movie during the credits. Another classic for sure. So in between all of my watching, uh, my all my new HBO stuff this week, I also went back and watched the five hours of Stephen King's The Stand miniseries because I know I've seen the first part of it before. And that kind of mirrors my whole relationship with that work specifically, uh, and with Stephen King in general. Uh, But I wanted to actually finish it this time, because if you asked me what my favorite book of all time was, I might tell you The Stand. It is certainly my favorite Stephen King book, and Stephen King is my favorite author. But I've never actually finished The Stand. I know that the first two-thirds is absolutely my favorite book, but despite having read that, two or three or four times and I went to Barnes and Noble this week to finally buy it but they didn't have a hardcover version and so I went to Amazon and so I'll be reading the stand again because if I was ever going to read the stand it seems like during this time (laughs) it would be the time but uh, I've still never finished it and so I want to finally finish that book I did finish the miniseries so I kind of know where it's going and and it makes sense that I've never finished it because in true Stephen King fashion it kind of falters at the end but the beginning of this work the stand 
is just some of the best character building I think I have ever seen in fiction. And Cole, you know, they're actually making a remake of that series. And this was something that was in the works long before the coronavirus hit. It had just wrapped up filming in March, right before corona happened. And so I'm still waiting. It seems like they should have kind of pressed the post-production and gotten it out in time for this cultural moment. Uh, It seems like this is the time to release uh, The Stand Thing. And talking about streaming, it will be coming to CBS All Access sometime in the future. And what a cast, too. I mean, both casts, the cast of the original and the cast of the upcoming remake. What a, I mean, Whoopi Goldberg is going to be in this new one, Cole. Which when was the last time you saw the something with Whoopi sense in it? In the world, when I thought of Mother Abigail reading the book, I imagined Whoopi Goldberg. And really? now she is the one that will be taking center stage as the leader of the the free zone people uh, in Boulder, Colorado that they gather to. For anyone that's not familiar, as I wax on about how great this book is that I haven't even finished, it's basically about a government. Uh, so. This time, there is a conspiracy to be had. A government had actually invented a super flu for use as a biological weapon, and it got out. And its mortality rate was somewhere in the high 90s. And as it spreads across America, we are quickly thrown into the thrusts of a post-apocalyptic world where the few survivors are just rolling from town to town, trying to find anyone else that's alive and, and hoping that they're on the good side as opposed to the bad side. Stephen King was pretty uh, overt in his kind of religious themology of it, how people are torn between two different sides. Uh, and it's I, it, it really is one of my favorite books. And, and the miniseries, for someone that grew up loving it so much, and for this one to come out afterwards and to be more involved on a book that I like more with actors that I like more— I'm surprised I don't talk about The Stand as much as I do. You know, Cole, I'm reading more about this, and um, it's interesting because Stephen King is pretty good at paranoia and pitting people against other people. I think of another example from his uh, repertoire is uh, The Mist and how really the, uh, the alien creature... And the mist itself really kind of takes a back seat to the character study at the forefront. You know, it's the, the thing that's actually scarier than the mysterious mist and the creatures that uh, reside within the mist are actually the people mm-hmm. that can't seem to be civil. And it's situations like these that can bring out some really good things in people, but it can also bring out the bad. And it sounds like we get a little bit of that with The Stand, right? Oh, we get a ton of it. That's that's really what is it about, that after the super flu washes through, it's the people that the survivors have to worry about. I think you've piqued my interest, Cole. I think I just may check this out. Sounds good. Now I want to pique your interest in one more thing on a much lighter note. There's good in them dire hills. (laughs) I got 
to talk about a lot of the things I watched on HBO Max this week, and a couple of them I won't mention on screen cleaning because they're the likes of Game of Thrones and The Wire and The Sopranos, which, don't get me wrong, I'll be watching for the next week until my free trial runs out. (laughs) But despite the HBO brand at the top, there is at least one show that is certainly family-friendly, and it is one of their very few originals. It's called The Not-So-Late Show with Elmo. Oh... Our favorite little red puppet gets to host his own late show with co-host Cookie Monster as they do it uh, not too late because he's got to get ready for bed before he goes goes to sleep. And he has guests that come on uh, just like, you know, some of the best Sesame Street moments when famous people come on and talk about their favorite letters. And it's very it really does still feel genuine and four kids. I was afraid it's not too much of a confession that I haven't watched a lot of Sesame Street in the past 20 years of my life, but I was afraid going back to it as an adult, I would be very cynical and I would see like little dirty jokes that I didn't see before because that's what I'm used to finding in the kids <laughs> shows that I watch. And it wasn't, it was still just a nice, genuine kids are cool and everyone can be nice to each other kind of a show. And I really enjoyed the not so late show with Elmo. You know, it's so funny when you were just describing the dynamic of that show between Elmo and Cookie Monster. I couldn't help but think, man, that sounds like pairing Johnny Carson with Ed McMahon. I could totally see Cookie Monster as an Ed McMahon type. So that's hilarious. Yep. And that's that's what he does in the episode I watched. His mom came in at the end to give him some cookies. And and it really was. It was cute. Bert and Ernie were in the production room and take, you know, given tours and it was a nice little thing new from the Sesame Workshop and only on HBO Max. Well, Cole, talking about all these different streaming channels and all these TV shows and episodes that we've discussed over the past few weeks, it gets me excited because coming up here in the next couple of weeks, we're actually going to be putting together a show that features a bracket of television series we've never done television series in a bracket before we've mostly done movies directors trilogies so this will be new territory for us and it's going to be a lot of work because there are plenty of classic tv shows that i would imagine would be on a bracket that i've never seen so i think you and i have got our work cut out for us but uh what better time i guess to be stuck at home than uh right now Watching TV is about as good as anything else we're going to be doing. Well, either that or find your local drive-in that's featuring some of these old classic movies or maybe even some of the few movies that are squeezing their way into theaters and getting your cash. That's going to do it for this week's episode of Screen Cleaning. My name is Jeff Simpson. And I'm Cole Wissinger. And we're here each and every week on BYU Radio at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific to give you the very best in entertainment. We'll be back next week. Until then, 